0: Welcome to the Chelsea Olson Podcast. I am delighted to welcome you to the community for all things leadership, wellness, and creativity. I believe in a world driven by abundance where businesses, humanity, and our planet thrive. It is time to redefine success and start building the world we dream to live in. It starts with you and it starts here. Hello everyone, and welcome to the show. I am so excited to introduce Dr. Kira O'Keefe, PhD, who is a speaker, educator, and coach who celebrates love or the direct experience of our shared being. She earned her master's degree from Harvard University, where she studied how the human mind works, learns, and grows. She then went on to earn her PhD from Stanford University, where she researched the culture of success. She then taught at Stanford University on topics ranging from happiness to love before leaving to pursue her own spiritual aims more fully. This led her to non-duality, a path that delivers the peace, freedom, and happiness that lives at the heart of our being. So now she joyfully shares her love of self-knowledge with anyone who's ready to find freedom from suffering. So thank you, Kira, for being here today. I'm so excited to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: I'd like to begin with you telling us and simply elaborating on what is the culture of success?
1: So the culture of success is a set of beliefs and behaviors that have to do with what we imagine it means to be an extraordinarily successful individual. So it has a lot to do with American culture, uh, although this is a widely popular culture. It's, it's uh, almost the dominant worldview. And you see it especially in concentrated doses in high achieving environments, You know, highly selective universities, which is where my background is from, but also in the, in the corporate world and certain organizations where there's a set of expectations around what success means, which can be unfortunately quite narrow at times.
0: I like how you use the word, what we imagine success to be, because it really opens the discussion for what do we imagine success to be? And how did that definition come about? So I think that's a really interesting piece of that description.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that the word success, the meaning of the word success has changed, you know, over the history of time. Uh, People often think the meaning of words are static. This is just how it always has been. But, you know, It wasn't until the 17th century that the word success was even used to refer to an individual. You know, before that, the meaning was much more collective. Uh, So it's interesting to see what the word success has come to mean in our minds where it's hyper individualistic.
0: Yeah, I almost don't even see the word success used to refer a communal accomplishment. So will you tell us about your research of the culture of success and any significant findings that you'd like to share.
1: Certainly. So I wanted to dive deep into the underbelly of the culture of success, uh, partially motivated from the blossoming mental health conversations that were happening in schools, in high schools, in, in universities, in uh, the American educational system. And so what I decided to do uh, is what an anthropologist does, usually an anthropologist will go to a different culture um, other than her own, you know, go to Papua New Guinea and study the local culture there and the meaning and the stories and the rituals that people engage in. I decided to do that with my own culture, (laughs) the culture that I was raised in and essentially try to make the familiar strange, as they say. So I went to uh, one of the top universities in the world and did an ethnography, which is just a study of culture, of the local culture of success uh, among students. I talked to students for hours. I listened to their stories. I did focus groups. I interviewed faculty members. I went to events viewing all of these rites and rituals and stories around what it mean, what success means. And what I ended up focusing on were certain common patterns of stress that arose uh, as a result of this culture. But first I'll say a few words about the culture. Um, the students described perceiving this culture of success, as demanding of them that they be number one in all domains of their life. And I ended up calling this the myth of the total winner. The total winner is that individual that can somehow magically do everything perfectly. Uh, They can do it all. Uh, They do it all while looking calm and at ease. And so these were some of the assumptions in the culture of success, you you must be the best and it must come naturally to you somehow. Uh, And as a result of these beliefs, the students described deep suffering and patterns of stress because in almost each and every moment they were comparing themselves to this mythical hero figure, the total winner. And so the students actually had a local vocabulary for all these different patterns of stress. Uh, Duck syndrome, for example, was one of the names of the patterns where one presents an image of calm and competence above the surface like a duck while paddling frantically underneath. Another pattern, uh, which many folks are familiar with, the students described as imposter syndrome. This feeling like no matter what they do, they just don't belong. That's how that that story went. And there were many other patterns as well. Perfectionism. uh, Within the social realm, students use the phrase FOMO, fear of missing out. Sort of applying this success mentality even to one's social life. You know, if I don't go to all the parties, or if I don't go to the best parties, or if I don't, if I'm not great or the best socially, I'm I'm somehow I'm missing out because I must do all the things somehow. Um, Other patterns included fear of failure. Fear of failure also connected many of these patterns uh, as well as many students reporting an experience of having a very harsh voice of the inner critic. So these are just a few of the patterns, which to summarize, I could describe as the branches of a tree. Perfectionism, belief, I have to do it all, Uh, FOMO, imposter syndrome, duck syndrome. These were all seemingly separate problems, but they all came together at their base with a deep fear of failure that seemed to be underneath all of them. And then the trunk of the tree, I would say, which brings it all together, was a deep sense of lack, is the phrase that I used. This sense that I'm not good enough unless I achieve or perform in this way.
0: I feel like all of those branches that you're speaking about, we see ripple out, as you mentioned, in our primary culture. So I'm left wondering, where does this come from?
1: That's a great question that I wish I had an answer to, but if I were to be honest, I don't. Because and, and that's the thing about culture and cultural phenomena. It's like the water we're swimming in, it's so pervasive and it's historical. It goes way back. You know, a lot of these themes you can trace back to the Protestant work ethic and um, other cultural trends at the beginning of the creation of this country. And, and we could trace them back much, much earlier than that as well. So I don't, I don't feel that I can pinpoint a beginning, but your question points to something important, which is just how pervasive this is, you know, look at any advertisement, look at your Facebook reel or any social media reel, you see this this performance of the total winner. Um, it it's it's really deep. It's really pervasive, and and it's it's really deeply embedded in American culture, which we've all been steeped in.
0: And in this next question, this may be something that you discovered in your research, or maybe just as somebody who is very intimate and familiar with the patterns of the culture of success, but I'm wondering what are the side effects of being deeply enmeshed in a product of the culture of success?
1: Some that I've witnessed and some that I can just share anecdotally is that if, if one believes that narrative, that, myth of the total winner, and that I must somehow do that performance and be good at that performance. One of the most tragic consequences I've witnessed is what it does to one's relationship with other people, and with oneself. Um, There can be a sense that vulnerability is somehow a sign of weakness or a sign of failure. And we all know that vulnerability and authenticity is so key to human relationships. You know, what happens if we tell ourselves the story that, oh, I have to shove that down and hide that away. You know, that was connected to the pattern that the students call duck syndrome. Uh, one and then of and that's in the presence of other people. But but if one really has internalized this story, it can happen. We can do it to ourselves. Like even, even if you're alone in the room, you're not around other people. You do something silly. Or something that feels like a mistake. This is connected, of course, to the pattern of uh, that gets called the inner critic. Uh, one can treat oneself very poorly <laughs> in a way you would never treat another person. So, so these are the consequences that I'm the most concerned about, especially when it comes to you know raising children an adolescence in this culture uh, and that is actually connected to what inspired this research uh, is around the time I was deciding my dissertation topic and what to study there were uh, these horrifying cluster suicides in Palo Alto which many people are familiar with because it was in the news where at these two particular high schools especially which are known to be um, known to have a heavy dose of this culture of success there were suicides which I believe uh, totaled to some to four or five times the national uh, average for suicides just in certain years and they happened in clusters where you know, I think the first cluster was six teenagers within the span of a few months, and four of them went to the same high school. And the community, of course, became very concerned and they even reported it to the CDC. And it was this wake-up call where people said, okay, something, something is wrong here, something's not right if 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 this is happening. And so that's that's what really catalyzed this research for me.
0: Yeah, I'm just sensing into my own relationship with the inner critic and duck syndrome, all of those branches you were beautifully elaborating and describing. And I know that in in the process of repairing my relationship with myself or repairing my relationships with others, it was this real grief of the loss of who I really am because who I really am didn't fit the box of perfect robot (laughs) because it doesn't exist. It's not natural and so i listen to other people other experts speak on grief and what happens when we have undigested grief especially as an individual and as a community and how that plays out in chronic sickness autoimmune conditions even lung disorders which is relatively thematic for what we're experiencing on a wide scale So I just want to really just express my gratitude for your research and the message you're able to bring, because I think this is so important. I almost feel like the biggest epidemic of all is not enough, not enough, not enough, because that plays into, I need more. I need more. We need to take more. We need to take more. We need to make more. We need to make, and it's all of this take, take consumption, consume, consume, consume. When in our natural world, there's this dynamic of consume and give And there's a real sickness that comes from that constant consumption. And there's a part of our self that doesn't like it, but because we're in this culture of success, we're super programmed that that's what we have to do. That's like our lifeline is just keep consuming in order to hopefully reach the top, the number one. So I just think it's so important how it ripples out is so vast.
1: Absolutely. I Chelsea, I just got chills when you when you said, uh, you know, the loss of self. I I think you were talking about how you know healing these old voices within us. That is the cost. You know, that is the cost of this. Is in order to engage in that performance, um, the performance of the total winner one. We have to betray ourselves. We have to abandon ourselves, our real self, um, because it's it's a performance. It's it's not authentic, and and I think that is a real cost that needs to be named and acknowledged. And and there's something tragic in it because our our self at the same time our real self is the source of happiness and peace. So, so it's like, why would we ever want to turn away from ourself, our being, which is beauty itself, which is peace itself, which is happiness itself in exchange for this ultimately unsatisfying activity? Uh, You know, it's madness.
0: So I'm wondering, is there actually any measurable correlation between accomplishment and happiness?
1: Hmm. This is such a good question. This is such a deep question, too. OK, my short answer is that no, there is not a correlation between accomplishment and happiness. But there is a correlation between accomplishment and pleasure. And as long as we confuse happiness and pleasure, we'll think, we'll be under the illusion that our accomplishment is related to happiness. But we have to make that distinction. And, you know, many of us are familiar with the fact that the human body mind, you know, over years of evolution and natural selection, has these dopaminergic reward systems in the brain, where our our bodies are just sort of wired to seek pleasure. (laughs) Um, And we get we get this hit of pleasure, whenever we achieve some goal, get some object that we want, or achieve some state. That's all well and good. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying we need to become monks and shave our heads and go move to the monastery pleasure is totally fine it's just not the same thing as happiness pleasure is a temporal state it has a beginning it has a middle and an end it's not lasting uh whereas happiness is not temporal it's actually the nature of our being and so Part of what we've been discussing in relation to the culture of success, I think one of the misconceptions uh, underneath the culture of success, one of the false assumptions that many people have fallen prey to, is this idea that the acquisition of objects or accomplishment. causes Happiness—that's sort of a hidden assumption underneath this success culture, because I think no one would be doing all these things if they didn't think, "Oh, this is going to make me happy." You know, if I if I said to you, "Okay, you get to have ultimate success. You get to have all of the accomplishments you want. Just dream up whatever uh, dream success story you want, and you get to have it," but You don't get to have happiness. You would be miserable with all of that. Would you sign up for it? I don't think so. I mean, people people are, are chasing all of this because they think it's going to lead to happiness. And it's such a common assumption in our world culture as human beings. It's so pervasive. It's some deep, deep programming. Uh, and that, I believe, needs to be questioned. and needs to be challenged because achieving happiness, on the other hand, doesn't require all of that work. It's actually effortless, which sounds strange to the mind that has been conditioned in the culture of success to think, oh, I have to work hard. I have to earn it. I have to achieve these things right? That's the narrative of the culture of success. When it comes to real lasting happiness, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to deserve it because it is the very essence of our being.
0: I absolutely love how you pair accomplishment with pleasure, but pleasure does not necessarily equate To happiness. Discernment is such an important piece of evolving as an adult. And there's accomplishment that really lights up the body. It really lights up the spirit, the heart. Yes, I did that. I accomplished this. And then there's accomplishments where it's, phew, I accomplished it. So I I made it. I'm not going to get ostracized. I'm not going to get made fun of. It's kind of this fear based accomplishment. And so I think there's so much there <laughs> in the conversation of pleasure or even, you know, how, why does it feel pleasurable? Does it feel pleasurable because it's inspiring and it ignites your, the fire in your belly, or does it feel pleasurable because you avoided potential conflict or you avoided potential danger? I have a memory of being in high school and I I come from a family of professional musicians, professional classical musicians. I'm also a musician. And I was in this competition, auditioning, auditioning to get in. And there was something that was messed up with our scores and it, they were, came out two weeks late and I ended up getting first runner up. And it was the only year I didn't place. And I sat in the bathroom for two hours after school and just crying and crying, terrified to go home and tell my family that I didn't place. And every other year that I placed, it was, phew, okay, I'm good. There was no celebration. There was no pride in my efforts or gratitude for my talents. It was just, phew, I made it. And so I just wanted to, A, say how much I appreciate your commentary on that, because I don't know if I would have naturally made that correlation in the distinguishment between pleasure and happiness. And also just to kind of pull the topic of pleasure apart a little bit in regards to accomplishment to invite anybody who's listening to practice that discernment in their life. And because I would also imagine, tell me if you agree or not, that within this culture of success, that there's maybe a distorted belief or acceptance around pleasure.
1: Yeah, I think that dynamic, the distorted belief around pleasure is mostly mistaking it for happiness, uh, and also, unfortunately, overlooking the fact that pleasure and pain are kind of like two sides of the same coin, and the coin is always flipping. And I think it's a very, you know, it's a very human thing to just want pleasure all of the time. <laughs> You know, a lot of human life is organized around trying to create pleasure all of of the time, but that doesn't seem to be the way it works, you know, with these human bodies. We seem to come and go in and out of those two states. Although what you just shared, the story you shared about not placing just reminded me of something really essential that uh, is part of this message that I want to share with children in schools everywhere, teenagers in schools every day where adults in these, you know, in, in the workplace where this culture of success is pervasive. I think one of the most important things that came out of this research for me was deep compassion for all of us because it's a cultural phenomenon. It's like the water we're swimming in every day. And I think because this story that we're all somehow separate, essentially separate individuals is so pervasive we can come to believe that these the thought patterns and the feeling patterns that we experience as a result of the culture of success are personal they have something to do with us like in your story you know the there could be thoughts that say like oh no i've i've done something wrong or i'm so terrible because this happened you know that's common i i i heard it throughout so many narratives in the students, but these are not personal thoughts. Our body minds are a little bit more like radio transmitters that are picking up these frequencies from the environment outside of us, from the culture. So I really like this lens of locating the culture as the problem rather than locating people as the problem.
0: And I think that's a great bridge for kind of starting to illuminate how we can repair, how we can start to create a new way from the culture of success, which is really hollow and soul sucking. And how do we start to create a new way that is more life generating? Yeah,
1: that is a beautiful conversation. And there's so, um, there's so many people out there offering beautiful alternatives. Uh, The one alternative that I'm most excited to share is the one that worked for me. And this is where, you know, I've I've always been deep into science and academia. And at the same time, I've always had this deep interest in questions that science can't really answer like who am I like what is the nature of happiness and how can I access it right here and now and these are questions that are better answered uh, within wisdom traditions uh, certain spiritual paths and I experienced a, a pretty sudden break with academia where I realized I had sort of implemented the recipe of success that I had received from my culture and my family and it didn't result in happiness and I was like "Huh, (laughs) that didn't work and at the same time was witnessing this sort of mental health crisis around me and, and feeling this deep Pull to support students uh, or anyone who's interested in finding relief from suffering. And I reached this very humbling point. I was really brought to my knees where I had to admit to myself that I had absolutely no idea how to free myself or anyone else for that matter from these cycles of suffering. And so going back to sort of the research findings, and I shared the image of the tree where the branches are these patterns of stress and the, tr- and the trunk, what brings them all together is this deep uh, sense of lack. I became interested in the question of like, well, what is the root of all of this? You know, if we want to pull the weed up from the root, so to speak, what is the root? And I didn't know the answer. And the only place that I found the answer, and I found an answer that worked, it actually worked, and I could verify it in my own direct experience, is something called non-duality. And so the way I stumbled upon that was leaving uh, leaving this very, this wonderful job teaching at Stanford. I actually went and sat in a cabin in the forest and just meditated because I didn't know what else to do with myself and shortly thereafter developed a deep desire uh, to, to find the direct path to happiness and the deep desire for a teacher or a guide or a mentor who can help me and shortly thereafter I discovered non-duality. Uh, specifically I met Francis Lucille and Rupert Spira who shared with me this ancient uh, wisdom tradition which basically acknowledges that there is only one reality and it's infinite it's eternal and it's what we are and one of the core the core pieces of this which connects back to the research Is the idea that all forms of psychological suffering, or these patterns of stress, they all have the same cause, or the same root. Now we're getting down to the root of the tree. And the root is the belief that one is a a limited, separate self. and. This is more commonly known as identification with ego or identification with the separate self. And the particular flavor of that that I was studying uh, in my dissertation research was identification with, you know, the total winner version of ego. You know, I have to do it all. But what that is is essentially the belief that one is a reality unto oneself separate from the world, separate from other people, separate from happiness, separate from divinity. That is what I call the worldview of separation. And it's, it's really the culture of success is one flavor of it. So coming back to your question, you know, what's a solution? If we question this assumption, if we question this belief that we have received from the people who came before us, who loved us very much and wanted us to be successful and wanted us to be happy and they gave us their recipe for happiness, which was you have to be do this performance of the separate self, you know, this performance of the total winner, We have to question and challenge the assumption that happiness comes from believing or pretending that one is essentially a separate being, and instead turn directly with our attention toward our real self, our true self, And this is why I got chills before Chelsea, when you were naming what I believe to be the most painful cost of the culture of success is this loss of self. You know, in reality, we can't actually lose ourself. It's impossible. We can only temporarily overlook it or get distracted, you know, kind of like when you're on the phone and you get distracted by this great cat video or dance video But at no point in time does our real self actually disappear or get harmed by any of this. So the solution that worked for me and that I'm most excited to share is is simple, it's effortless, it's just recognize the reality that we presently are and recognize the fact that its very nature is peace and happiness itself. So it's a coming home, a coming home to what we already are.
0: I know that when I work with my clients or even in my own journey in this coming home process, a lot of the work to be done or the effortless release, whichever way you want to phrase it, was basically my real self would have an experience such as grief or rage were fatigue qualities that previously I had labeled as bad and shameful and push them out because they don't fit within the context of success culture or the ultimate winner, the total that winner. Alter, yeah, ultimate that, winner. I like that. The too. total winner. <laughs> yeah. And so it was even releasing the judgments around my true self so that the true self could rehome and just allow her to exist instead of trying to fit it into a box and we say if you try to shove rage into a tiny little box it's going to be extremely chaotic <laughs> if you try to put um, a wolf into a tiny little kennel it's going to be crazy uh, i know that as i have two dogs that are obvious descendants from wolves from the pound so <laughs> It's just, wasn't a, it wasn't an option because it would just cause mass pandemonium and so much terror within their own body because they weren't accustomed to being in this tiny little cage. And so, so much of it is just making the choice to put the key in the lock, turn it and open it and just let, let the self emerge, let that natural wild self emerge. And I think that's a big kind of a piece of accessing that non-duality is, allowing ourselves to dissolve the labels of what is good and what is bad. Because without sunshine, we don't have rain. <laughs> without the inhale, we don't have the exhale. Without warm, we don't have cold. Like there's, you mentioned before, pleasure and pain, they are opposites, but they are one. They are two sides of the same coin, the same entity, the same experience. And so releasing the judgments, releasing the attachments to what we consider to be good or bad, and allowing them both to just exist is a real challenge for the intensity of the mind of success culture.
1: Yeah. In my experience, I, oh, I have, I have felt that process occur, you know, at everything that I had previously said, uh, have sort of shoved away in the basement and said, oh, that's, that's a bad feeling. I'm not supposed to be feeling that all of that naturally arose to the surface. As a byproduct, as as sort of a natural result or byproduct of the non-dual understanding, it wasn't something. It's not something that we have to do ahead of time, like a discipline or a practice, in order to get in touch with our real self, because we are our real self already. Um, but there can be what I experienced is sort of a release of this pressure cooker where, you know, when old false beliefs or old limiting beliefs are let go of, it's sort of like a lid uh, on a can of sensation is, is opened and the sensation can just open and, fl- and flower and the body mind comes back into balance. Uh, but I agree absolutely that when it comes to bodily sensation, which is really all that feelings are bodily sensation, there's no such thing as good or bad, you know, it's just sensation and it's all ultimately uh, neutral and none of it can, can harm us.
0: So I'm curious, Having grown up in a culture of success, doing all the things that you're quote supposed to do, studying it, learning it, becoming intimate with it, having this whole rebirth and this whole new revelation of what it means to be human. I'm curious to hear how you personally define the word success.
1: In this moment in time, I would define success as self-knowledge, a.k.a happiness because within the culture of success, so much of what we are told we need to do. And what I previously did was seeking certain accomplishments with the unspoken assumption of, I want this thing because it'll make me happy you know, my current definition of success involves just skipping to the happiness. (laughs) So for me right now, success is happiness. And, and it's kind of a shortcut where, where we can, we can skip any sort of achievement or accomplishment that we thought we needed to do in order to be happy and go straight for happiness itself. And happiness comes from self-knowledge, which is why I use the word self-knowledge, knowledge knowledge of self, knowledge of our our real self, uh, the one we have always been, the one we are now, and the one we always will be. And so to, to simplify that, if in each and every moment I am doing what I genuinely want to be doing, what I love, what I'm genuinely enthusiastic about, then I've reached my goal, so to speak. I've simplified it by creating a really tiny time scale. And this moment, I can say with 100% certainty, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing right now. This is fun. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. It's authentic. And um, so that that is what Success means to me now.
0: Well, you answered a question I was about to ask, which is for people that are listening and may feel, "How do I access happiness? How do I shortcut to happiness?" What I'm hearing you say is a way that we can do that is by really sensing into what would feel good. What do I naturally feel inclined to doing? What do I want to do? And accessing those desires as a compass to guide our decisions and our choices absolutely how can people find you
1: well i i'm so excited to share you know with anyone who's interested anyone who who is ready and wanting to access freedom peace happiness right here and now i would say the way to find me is through my personal website uh K Y R A O K E E F F E.com. And then there's a little contact tab on my website, and that'll allow you to email me directly. So feel free to reach out just to say hello, or if you'd want to, if you'd like to hop on a phone call, I'd be happy to, to see how I can support.
0: And is there any last? piece that you want to leave our audience with today might be just a favorite quote or a piece of advice or just anything that's resting in, in your heart. I'll
1: share a quote from my friend Rupert Spira. He says that we cannot travel to happiness, but we can travel from it. So I would invite everyone who's listening today to just walk as happiness, just Operate from the assumption that that's what you already are and travel from that place.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kira. I have so enjoyed this conversation and I know you have still so much more to offer and still so much more to discuss. So anyone that's listening, I definitely recommend go find Kira, go listen to what she has to share and say, it's really important for everybody to be hearing. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chelsea. This
1: has been wonderful.
0: Wasn't that conversation amazing? If you want to stay up to date on more incredible offerings, be sure to rate the podcast and find me on Instagram and LinkedIn to join the community of people who are obsessed with reaching their fullest potential. As always, may you walk with grace and courage, and we'll see you next time.